Hello and welcome into the Go Blue Crew. I'm Tyler Fenwick with Derek Devine. Before we get into what Michigan did against East Carolina and looking over week one in general, uh, Derek informed me of something really fantastic before I hit record. And I thought it'd be a shame if uh, everybody else was shielded from this very fun fact of, of Derek's drink. So why don't you fill us in? Yeah. So usually when we record, especially on a Wednesday when it's, you know, always whiskey Wednesday, you know, I make up a nice little drink. Um, Tyler has a, you know, another commitment tonight. I was running a little bit behind the scheduled time. And so uh, with that being the case, I took my soda from Chick-fil-A, a little cherry, uh, cherry Coke here. And I just dumped some whiskey, an unknown amount, into... I was, I was going to say, you got to tell them how much. Yeah, uh, a decent pour. Honestly, a little more than than I tried. I mean, I was really, really scrambling, trying to hurry, looking for the AirPods at the same time. So, when I, you know what? Let me just take a live sip and I'll let you know. Uh, what if I told you that like um, ASMR. I've got nothing going on and I just made you hurry for no reason? That would be okay with me that's not true i do yeah i was gonna say you know a little little irritating skin no it so what's the what's the verdict here um okay it's like if i you know asked for a whiskey and cola strong from the bar and and they made it exactly how like a double yeah they call that a double i say it might be a safe double um don't think i've hit a triple but definitely a safe double okay okay well michigan uh 33 win over east carolina i was there derek um, I can tell you the new scoreboard is very cool. You, you've got, uh, other games scores on the side and I mean, it's just massive. It was really cool. It. it was really good for replay or if you're in a spot as a stadium, you might know what I'm talking about where, um, depending, depending on where you are and where the action is, uh, your best bet is to actually look up at the scoreboard and kind of follow there. So that'll make it a lot easier if you do ever have to resort to that. But first impression of of the new uh, scoreboard, and obviously it was a noon game. I mean, we didn't get a look at the lights, but I was impressed. I thought it was cool. I will follow up with you on this conversation next week as I go this weekend uh, and give you my honest feedback, and then maybe we can have a debate. Okay. I think I hate it. Um, there's two things I saw, uh, scores, I'll tell you what I hate, but go scores ahead. are way too big. And it looked like there was a flag, uh, graphic that went up and took about a third of the screen up, but, um, yes I haven't yes. seen the way it plays video. I haven't heard the sound. I haven't, you know, seen the intro video on it. So I'll, uh, I'll keep my other comments, um, you know, to myself. Cause I don't want to assume I could really actually like the thing. Overall, and and obviously when you when you see someone share pictures, they're going to point out its flaws, and so that's exactly what I saw. Uh, but yeah, excited to I think what three thirty game for me, so I might be able to see yeah. the the lights in action. I don't know how much they'll be able to do uh, with uh, you know hopefully another blowout late, but it does get a little darker earlier now, especially here in Michigan. So. We'll see, but yeah, we'll, we'll follow back on this and we'll talk scoreboard. Okay, so the flag thing, true. It confused me the first time it came up because it it's like a graphic that drops over the stats and 
the out of town scores. And at first I, I looked like a glitch or something. And then I realized it was a flag. Um, the out of town scores, it is rather large. It's in proportion though, to the stats side. So I don't know if you shrunk it, if it would look weird, uh, but yeah, that's true. It is large. The only thing I hate, and I don't use the word hate lightly, and this has nothing to do with the scoreboard, but I don't feel like I need um, like a in-game host, which is what we got. You know, if, if you've ever been to an NBA game, that's what it reminded me of. Like it's the guy with the microphone going around to the fans, hyping everybody up, like, you cut to him during breaks and he's like, okay, I got little Johnny here and he's going to try to throw three footballs through this hula hoop. Let's cheer him on. I didn't need that, man. Like that seems a little gimmicky to me. So that was the only thing that I did not like. And I don't even know if they've had that in years past. I can't remember it. And I don't think I went to a game last year. So last year, and I think they maybe started this against Ohio State at home two years ago. But last year they did the on-field DJ. This sounds like more of a promotions guy. So again... It is a it's different from the DJ. I will absolutely be a lot of awesome talk. And this is the kind of you know talking points you need, barring a, a really incredible it, upset by UNLV. Yes. I, I will... <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take in everything. And okay. we will follow up on all of these items because I have a feeling I'm going to have some opinions. Here's what I'll say. I'm glad they're doing something in any of these categories because what they're trying to do is improve um, the fan experience and try to, you know, get an uptick of, of, uh, you know, fan excitement. It can be pretty quiet in there um, at times, especially early season, late game. You know, we always have known the Michigan student section to not show up on time and to bail early uh, when the games aren't close. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, what Michigan UNLV holds, but I'm sure I will have a lot of things to follow up on next week. So speaking of uh, now the on-field product, we can get to it here. Uh, obviously not a game that was ever in doubt or question. JJ McCarthy was really good. Uh, something, I don't know if it came up on the broadcast or if you could see it from uh, the broadcast point of view, but it was like an, a, a breezy and it would come and go. And I felt like there, there were a couple passes where um, if, if it didn't look a hundred percent accurate, I'll just give the caveat that it was like very breezy and, and there were gusts. So uh, I don't know what exactly that means uh, for foreign completions, but I thought that was worth mentioning. So are we talking, are we talking, listened, obviously both teams deal with the wind, but are you, are you kind of referring to, to JJ? Mostly, yeah. Because I mean, technically, I mean, there's only four incompletions, and so if right, that's what I'm saying. If, if, if you're and, but, basically so there saying was a, the performance was better than 26 for 30, <laughs> or it was more impressive because of the breeze, then hey, I'll I'll eat that up. All I'm saying is I can remember two passes in particular. Um, both came up short. One would have been an incredible interception in the end zone. Another, um, I don't remember the situation in middle of the field. Um, if, I don't know if I'm making this up, but I, I believe he's rolling out to his left. Looks like he just kind of short arms it. Uh, those were two times where I was like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe there was a little bit more of a gust than he realized. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, 26 for 30 is fantastic. And if you listen to the show last week, 
hopefully you're not surprised that East Carolina did a pretty good job uh, stopping Michigan's ground attack. Good as it might be, good as it might become still, uh, East Carolina loaded that box and did a really good job from the very first defensive drive for the Pirates. Um, and and you also wouldn't be surprised, though, that J.J. McCarthy ended with 280 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, not nothing that I would consider to be a big deal there. The only thing that maybe you pay attention to going forward is is the chemistry and of, of the offensive line. Uh, you know, like you're starting or rotating in yeah. three transfers pretty regularly we up talked there. About that too last it's week. just going to take a minute for that to to do something. I said we that? talked about that too last week. That for me, you yeah, know, that's the position, that's the unit group that you know you have the most confidence in probably moving forward, but. Um, even against East Carolina, it's going to take a minute. They they need some time. They need some work, and they likely need their offensive coordinator back um, because he's also the old yeah, line coach. Help. And so, um, I'm sure you know we all we all have heard by now. Uh, Cheryl Moore uh, offered to you know fire up the old Peacock streamer and and invited Jim Harbaugh over, and and you know Harbaugh said straight up like, hey, there are a lot of times where we said something, and that's exactly. Um, what they did, you know, like almost like they were, they were in sync from afar. Um, like the, those guys prepped the, the rest of the coaches so well, but you know, there's gotta be times where both Harbaugh and Sheryl Moore were like, okay, you know, that's something we could easily fix. Uh, maybe something that wouldn't have happened if we weren't there. But my favorite thing, speaking of the line, speaking of running and even speaking of JJ, uh, on the broadcast, I don't know if you've watched the highlights. Um, one of the things or, or the, more like the the sped up game recap, I should say, the Big Ten and sixty style. Um, though you can do it much quicker on YouTube. They come out and Mike Tarico's like basically I don't know if the sideline reporter talked to to Jesse Minter or if they just kind of made this up. But you know, expect Michigan to to run way more in the second half or to start the second half and it's like pass after pass after pass and yeah. one of the, <laughs> the the most incredible throw of the day for Roman Wilson's third touchdown it's like wow like bad prediction there uh a lot of a lot of a lot of time um spent throwing the ball I think JJ had an incredible performance uh right right about everything we wanted to see from JJ and probably more than we expected in week one. But what these teams are going to do is they're going to say, Hey, we're going to stack the box. Uh, you won't be able to run down our throats. Although with the line gels a little bit better, uh, they will be able to, to run uh, all over teams. But they said, Hey, we're going to stop you up the middle. We know your quarterback's not going to run in this game. It's too early. He's too talented. Uh, and Hey, we're going to try the Ohio state method. Beat us with your arm. Uh, and obviously the teams are very unevenly matched, but uh, J.J. McCarthy did just that. Uh, and Roman Wilson, you know, at least against an East Carolina secondary, uh, looked like a player that is unguardable so far uh, to the likes of the many slots and receivers that Ohio State have had. Uh, and then the other thing I'll point out that I really liked, you know, not a whole bunch of downfield shots, uh, but also not a ton of stuff like directly at the line of scrimmage. A lot of A lot of throws. Uh, and, and gaps in the middle, a lot of crossing routes. He was on time and uh, on target. Yeah, I mean, the sure. ball was coming out fast. He was he was on the money, even when he threw a little high to Cornelius Johnson, you know, talented enough receiver to go up and get it. So it looked different, you know, multiple times in the broadcast. And again, this is Peacock, this is NBC, two guys that, um, you know, haven't, haven't broadcast in a Michigan football game 
uh, at least in a, a long time for Mike Tirico. Uh, couldn't tell you when the last time was for him, but uh, they thought they saw something different in JJ, and I think a lot of fans probably thought the same thing. But, uh, yeah, a lot of chatter and worry about the running game. But give the offensive line time, uh, get into a more standard game where, you know, teams are going to try to slow down the pass, and I think you're likely to see Corum and Diamond Edwards have a big game. And it's not like they didn't have, you know, a good run apiece. So, overall, lots of like. Yeah, the, on the other side of the ball, um, two main takeaways. One is I, th- I think the pass rush thing might be a little overblown. I get that it's you're in a good spot if you're nitpicking after week right. one. Um, it'd be awesome if there was a little bit more generated there. But considering East Carolina getting the ball out pretty quickly and just how well Michigan secondary played, which is my other takeaway, not worried about the pass rush, really. Not yet. Wasn't anyway, that the same uh, early was, last season. If I or it feels like it seems it seems like that's a talking point most seasons. Yeah, early. like a not maybe a non for some reason maybe a non Aiden Hutchinson senior year. Uh, I think twenty twenty one might have I mean, been the caveat like to that. But, um, you know, they you had Yabioki or whatever he changed his name to before the season last I year. Forget. You know, a guy who had transferred <laughs> in, and and you had several guys, obviously on the line. Um, but it felt like the question mark early was the D line, you know, why aren't they getting to the ball? Why aren't they um, sacking the quarterback and, and credit to East Carolina in this game. And likely something else that a lot of teams can, can focus on is, you know, similar to stop the, the runs up the middle, get the ball out quick. You know, you know, you're going to get, uh, you know, behind the chains and, and lose even earlier if you're allowing, um, linebackers, DNs, DLs to to get through the line and get the sack. And so uh, credit to East Carolina for getting the ball out quick. And, and that led to some passing mistakes, including that first early uh, interception by Mike Sanders, still, which which good for him. Uh, just, you know, yeah, continuing to, to prove himself, uh, you know, a, a great defender, um, you know, to, to the point where people are going to forget that he ever played wide receiver because I, I think his – Obviously, his his legacy at Michigan is going to go down as a as a cornerback here. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you I think you make a, a great point. It's hard to not see the sack or the the, the Chris Jenkins or, or anyone you know, uh, Braden McGregor. Like you're used to seeing those uh, tackle for losses, those sacks, and, and not a bunch of those. Uh, at least the exciting ones in this game. But again, just like the O line, it's going to take take a while to get the rotation right. Uh, get guys in a groove and really see who your standout players are. Yeah, the secondary though, fantastic. My, uh, Mike Sanders still is an interception. Josh Wallace almost had one. I mean, he played great. Uh, and the secondary was missing some starters. Will Johnson was out, and I, I thought Michigan secondary just played an awesome game. And I know, you know, East Carolina, as we talked about last week, was going through a lot of turnover on the offensive side of the ball. So expectations weren't you know terribly high but uh like they did everything you're supposed to do and and that included like playing fast aggressive i just thought it was all there and oh, so close to pitching a shutout in east carolina i didn't realize until much later maybe a day later that there was a uh like a, a shutout streak on the line like east carolina has not been shut out yeah in many, yeah. many years. That's something they talk about in the broadcast. Speaking of broadcast versus in person, this is it's not always where you have the the, the moments where you know it'd be much different in person. The Josh Wallace interception, um, 
It was an interception going into the break. Felt like the Peacock commercial breaks were longer than usual, uh, maybe just because of the first game streaming platform, and so you assume that's the case. Not sure, but they came back to the replay, and the way they were showing the replay was clearly in a way that you know they're reviewing something. Um, but it turns out that what Peacock was doing, because it was reviewed during the commercial break, during the media timeout, was just showing why the call was uh, overturned or reversed. But it came at a time where there was no audio on the broadcast. There was no Mike Tirico, no no rules analyst coming in. And then I think the next couple of plays went without audio as well. Part of me kind of liked I thought Mike Tirico did a good job. Part of me kind of likes that, like, just hearing the crowd, hearing the hike, you know, just that live action. It feels like it could be like, hey, this possession brought to you by fill in the blank of the advertiser, and, you know, you just go completely game sounds only. But there was so much confusion on my end, you know, until I went to Twitter of, like, why the heck was that overturned? Was that clear in Michigan Stadium? Like, did you know, the ref say why? Did you, did you get that context? Could you tell on the video board right away? Talk me through that. I don't remember any confusion, and I also don't remember... Was, it, was there booing, at least? Looking, like, were people upset? Because it seems like one of those plays where half of the big house doesn't understand the ruling or why it was... Like, it seems like a, a boo-bird huh. situation to me. Because <laughs> I, I remember, probably, without audio for me, I'm sitting by myself in my living room like, what in the world? What do you mean <laughs> that ECU still has the ball? There was probably just a standard level of booing. Okay. You know, I, I remember live... I could tell he had bobbled it and that it wasn't totally clean. I don't remember any kind of confusion or controversy though that went beyond like the standard stuff live. But maybe I blocked it out and don't remember. I don't know. I just Easy don't remember do any too. of that. You know, like the, like the annoying fan that yells after every play, you can usually block them out. Oh my god! I was sitting in front of one of those. Always. Yeah. I mean, it's always. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to a game and you're not near somebody like that, then. Uh, it's, you know, probably the only time that'll ha- ever happen in your Yeah. This guy was yelling at JJ, uh, before every play as though they've been best friends since the second grade. So you mean an example is one of those situations. Yeah. Um, bouncing around the rest of college football before we wrap it up with maybe something we'd like to see against UNLV, lots of good action for week one. Not a whole lot of drama. Colorado beats TCU, probably the best game of week one. But you also had Duke beating Clemson on Labor Day. Uh, Utah, Florida played a good game on Thursday. Uh, Penn State, West Virginia, that was pretty fun. A whiteout in Happy Valley. Any major takeaways from from week one? And even if you got to reach and extrapolate and pull something that's not really there because it's only one week. But I just, I had so much fun watching college football this weekend. Yeah, it was a, it was a great weekend of football, you know, starting really what Thursday. Um, yeah. I like the way Utah played um, somehow even more so enjoyed the way Florida played not to take a shot at Florida. Uh, felt the same way last night um, or two nights ago. Now uh, Duke and, in Clemson. Oh, absolutely. Um, the way Duke controlled that game and then just really took off late. Could say the same for Florida State. Control the game that was close early and just really took off late. A lot of scoring explosions. TCU, Colorado. 
the most exciting game of the week. A ton of scoring, not a whole lot of defense. I, I think it's possible that Nebraska could have a better defense than TCU. Uh, now, is, is Nebraska's really interesting. It, is yeah, is go Nebraska going to be able to, you know, put up 40? Probably not. We just watched what they did no. against uh, Minnesota. They'll have one game where they scored 55. I guarantee And it's it. against the it's FCS coming. school that they scheduled, whoever that may be, week three, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I'd say uh, the, the popular pick is – is Colorado, but um, I'll go with Florida State for me. Um, oh, yeah, that was a really good the, one, and too. And the reason being is the way they beat LSU, who obviously has a talented roster, plenty of talent that returned from a season ago where they were oh so close, and, you know, a, a legitimate quarterback who's had a ton of college football uh, experience and, and you know then there's brian kelly you know a lot of people hate brian kelly yeah that man's got a family <laughs> right? but hey he's he's been around the block he's he's had some successful seasons he's obviously a good enough coach to to continue to to pull in the talent and uh be competitive but the way that florida state went from you know turnover prone like both teams were just giving the ball back to each other to really finding a gear um it's really early uh, and it's very similar to a Colorado. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's looking at Colorado as a potential playoff team. I think you're looking at them as like a, a team who's really moved the needle after a, a one-win season. But Florida State looked like a playoff-caliber team late, and so I'd say most impressive victory to me was was the way Florida State beat LSU in the only top ten matchup of the weekend. Speaking of uh, takeaways, I'll give you a really quick one here. Maybe a hot take. I don't know. I'll I'll defer to you on how hot this is. But I think Penn State and Notre Dame are both legit. And that's weird because both teams, I think you're usually waiting on them to stumble. Like you're really hesitant to believe, I think especially in Notre Dame, but, but also Penn State because James Franklin just doesn't have a good rap over there uh, with, with in-game coaching stuff. But I think they're both legit. Both have really good quarterbacks, especially Notre Dame. Uh, which also runs the ball really well. Penn State reminds me a little bit, honestly, of 2022 Michigan, uh, a a young, proven, but not in a substantial way quarterback where you've seen what he can do, and like now he's taking the reins. And so you're not really nervous, like, oh, gosh, does he have it? It's just, you know, is he going to live up to everything? In a good, experienced offensive line, a good rushing attack, like I think – I think all the pieces are there for, for both teams. And that's my little hot take, I guess. I think both are legit, even though you do expect both of them at some point to, to stumble along the way. And you just don't really know where it is. One of the things that I think maybe people missed on, uh, and I agree with Penn state. Uh, I, I, I think that they're the, the biggest contender other than Michigan for the East. I said that in my in my preseason predictions. That's that's the game I'm most nervous about on Michigan's schedule. But Penn State, outside of West Virginia, which that is obviously a uh, a credible early matchup, they've got about the easiest string of games coming up here to end September that you can have. Really, outside of Iowa, who better likely with Cade McNamara, Eric Hall, and um, you know some retooled things, except for an offense coordinator who's the same. Is Cooper DeGene the only white cornerback in all of major college football? Uh, possibly. I remember that coming up around what Bolt. That's how you know he's I good. Mean, he's 
he's a very good cornerback. Uh, and and I would agree with you. Uh, you know, I think Deion Sanders would agree with you too. Um, but Delaware for Penn State, <laughs> Illinois, who looks horrible. Iowa, you know, maybe somewhat of a test, even though Penn State's at home and it's a night game. So essentially the early whiteout of the season. Northwestern on the road, terrible. UMass, and then they finally play Ohio State, which, you know, could easily be uh, a top 10 matchup. For Notre Dame, I think one of the most exciting things is, you know, outside of their schedule is, is challenging uh, about every season because of the out of conference games they often will play and, and the fact that they're a, a glorified member of the ACC as of now. USC is going to be a great um, one this year, but yeah. I mean, Notre Dame plays Ohio State, so I think you get to see how Ohio State handles, you know, what looks like a very legitimate team. And so, yeah, as of now, it's early. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, to to really get too excited about really any team just yet. But uh, Notre Dame looks like they are a complete team. Penn State looks like they're a complete team. Uh, one with a young, you know, uh, quarterback who's likely to excel. Another with a, a guy who's had about as many, if not more, snaps than any other quarterback in college football at this point. Um, and so I think that uh, Michigan – or sorry, that Notre Dame uh, Ohio State matchup will will say a lot about both teams, and I think you know Penn State's likely to be undefeated going into Ohio State uh, where they visit uh, the Buckeyes in the horseshoe. But you know, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of teams that look good. Uh, there's the obvious ones that played nobody, Michigan included. Uh, then there's the teams that had a little bit tougher of matchups, and I think you know Florida State, Penn State. Uh, you know, and then the way Notre Dame has played early, I think you can you can count on them being around and being a part of the conversation for a while. All right, Derek, uh, let's wrap up 30 seconds or less. Give me something you're looking forward to for Michigan to keep doing or adjust whatever in a prediction against UNLV 330 CBS. I would love to see JJ throw every game just to continue to get comfortable and ball out and have that record-breaking season. But against UNLV, I want to see um, some better blocking in terms of the run game from the offensive line. And I would love to see either Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards break out. It's hard to pick a score with the whole, you know, how much motivation do you have in the second half? You know, how reserved are these, you know, uh, temporary head coaches going to be in these situations. What Jay Harbaugh in the first half, Mike Hart in the second half, two head coaches in one college football game, about the weirdest thing <laughs> you can come up with. So not sure they'll quite cover uh, just because of what we saw last week. So I'm going to go with uh, 38 to 10. Uh, more points than last year for, or last week for Michigan, uh, but I think they're going to give up 10 this time around. Okay. I think – I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Okay. Never. I thought I heard something come through. Uh, I I want I want the secondary to continue to be suffocating because if if that if that back half of your defense is doing what it's supposed to do, um, any kind of defensive line pass rush issues are are going to become much easier to resolve if you can depend on those guys in the secondary to hold their own. And against East Carolina, that was true even without a lot of your normal starters. So. If we can see that for a second game in a row, even against another inferior opponent, I'm going to feel really good about Michigan's ability to, you know, by the time you're playing at Nebraska or at Minnesota, for example, in late September, early October, 
uh, that those issues are going to be taken care of, even if they are issues, which I don't think we're totally sold on, uh, but we'll see. Uh, for a prediction, I'm, I'm feeling something pretty close to you, which I know is a theme for us. I think we've just been talking about Michigan football together for so long that we've come to see things almost the same way. Uh, 35-6, I think it's another game where you know Michigan's going to have some really good moments offensively. Maybe it doesn't uh, totally translate to like four quarters of dominance just because of the way uh, things work in the second half in a blowout, but I think defense continues to play really well. I'll spot UNLV six points, but maybe Michigan can get that shutout back that they lost against East Carolina. So we'll come back next week, uh, break that one down, get ready for the last non-conference game of the season, a night game, 7.30 on Big Ten Networking against Bowling Green, and then conference plays here, and we'll get ready for that. But until then, take care out there and go Blue. blue.